0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. On today's episode, we'll start with a review of Napoli's loss to Inter on Wednesday, and we'll review Napoli Femminile's loss to Hellas Verona on Match Day 10. In part 2, we'll cover the latest news around Napoli, and we'll recap how our main competitors did in Serie A this week. And in part 3, we'll preview Napoli's match on Sunday against Lazio. And if you stick around until the end, I'll also tell you how you can get your hands on a signed Lorenzo Insignia jersey. So let's start with Napoli's match on Wednesday against Inter. Here's how it went. Napoli get us underway. (laughs)
2: Well, the contest between the two most prolific scorers in Serie A this season hasn't created a first-half goal, and there have been very few first-half opportunities. The best of them came the way of Lataro Martinez, who fired wide from just inside the Napoli penalty area. Zelinski volleyed wide from just outside the box in response for Napoli, but in truth, that's as close as we've come. Insignia's had his moments, but hasn't been able to... Turn creator, and at the break, it is into nil Napoli. Nil, still 45 minutes left for three of the teams to take advantage. Who's
0: going to have
2: the bravery to do it? Lukaku against Koulibaly, support arriving. Sensi charged down by Manolas and then it breaks for Damien, who is felled by Ospina, and it is a penalty kick. Yes, Red card has been produced. Well, Davide Massa has kept his cards resolutely in his pocket for a majority of the evening. But something has happened. Something has been said. And for some reason, the referee has decided to send off the player, Lorenzo Insigne, who moments ago came within a whisker of giving Napoli the lead. See, Lorenzo... Fabien Ruiz. Di Lorenzo deflected, but there's a chance, and Pantania strikes the outside of the post. We are at the discretion now of referee David A. Massa. The four minutes of anticipated additional time have been concluded. That could be a massive three points for
0: Inter in their quest to win the Serie A title this season. As you heard, Napoli lost 1-0 on a Romelo Lukaku penalty kick. Even though Inter won this match and it was low scoring, this was another Pazza-Inter game. Both sides were cautious in the first half. The game didn't really open up until after the goal was scored, and then we were all over Inter, we just couldn't finish. This was a really tough pill to swallow because despite going down a man, we were clearly the better side. Not only that, but we lost another striker to injury in Mertens, and our captain Lorenzo Insigne was suspended, which puts us in a very difficult position until January when hopefully we get Victor Osimhen back. We're going to talk about all of that in this review, plus we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first, let's go over the starting lineups. Antonio Contes started the exact lineup that we predicted, lined up in his usual 3-5-2. Samir Handanovic started in goal. The three-man back line featured Alessandro Bastoni in the middle, Milan Skriniar on the left and Stefan De Vrij on the right. The wingbacks were Ashley Young on the left and Matteo Darmian on the right. Nicolo Barella, Marcelo Brozovic and Roberto Gagliardini started in the center of the midfield. And Romelu Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez started up top. For Napoli, Gattuso lined up in his usual 4-2-3-1 with Davido Spina in goal. Caledou Koulibaly and Kostas Manolas started at center back. Mario Rui started at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back. Timoy Bakayoko and Diego Demme started in the double pivot. We had Fabian Ruiz with Bakayoko, not Diego Demme. Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing. Chuki Lozano started over Matteo Politano on the right wing. And Piotr Zielinski started in the 10 spot ...behind Dries Mertens. Okay, so let's start with our three keys to the match. The first was that we had to win the battle between Kalidou Koulibaly and Romelu Lukaku... ...and Koulibaly definitely won this battle. Lukaku was nearly completely neutralized in this match. Whenever the ball was played to him, Koulibaly was there. Lukaku did do a good job of holding up on Koulibaly before laying off to Sensi... ...on the shot that led to the penalty... But Koulibaly played it correctly. His teammates did a good job of closing Sensi down and blocking the shot. We were just really unfortunate that it fell for Darmian. I do think Mario Rui and Insigne were caught watching the play a little bit. And I wonder if anything would have come of that play if Ospina didn't come off his line. But I think he had to come. It didn't look like Koulibaly was going to get to that ball before Darmian did. Our second key was we needed to win the midfield battle. I think we did that too. I'd say the first half was fairly even, but we definitely owned the midfield in the second half. I was expecting Fabian to start with Bakayoko, but Diego Demme did a great job. And in retrospect, it did make a lot of sense to start Deme to help deal with the pace of Nicolo Barella. Credit to John Clover on Twitter, he nailed this starting eleven. Barella was the midfielder I was most concerned about, but he actually did very little in this match. It's not that Barella was bad. Even on an off day, he's still very good. He set up both of Inter's chances in the first half. He intercepted Koulibaly's pass out of the back, which led to that glorious chance for Lautaro that he pulled wide. Barella also played the cross to Galliardini that he headed on target, but Ospina stopped. What we did well, though, was we pushed Barella out wide, which really limited the damage he could cause to crossing the ball. Inter's midfielders didn't help themselves either. Their passing was really poor, especially in the first 15 minutes of the second half. It actually seemed like Inter's midfield struggled to defend ours. They often resorted to pushing and pulling and shoving to slow us down. And in the first half, Zielinski seemed like he could dribble through anything and anyone. The third and final key to the match was not to outcoach ourselves. We did this as well. Gattuso didn't mess around with his lineup. Everyone played in their natural positions. We played positive football. We didn't just sit back and allow Inter to come at us like we did last season. But when Inter had the ball, we defended really well. We dropped into the 4-4-2 and maintained our structure. We saw our forwards getting back to help defend. I thought Gattuso's in-game coaching was excellent as well. He constantly called Mario Rui to retreat to defend Darmian. Even though I was concerned about Hakimi, Darmian was one of Inter's better players once again. The commentators pointed out that it looked like Lozano was restraining himself from making runs on the wing, like he could hear Gattuso in his head telling him to hold back. Finally, before the red card, I really liked how Insigne was playing. He was coming back to retrieve the ball, and he often drifted into the middle of the pitch, which allowed Mario Rui to get forward on the wing. So speaking of that red card, let's talk about that next. First of all, for me, Massa made the correct decision awarding the penalty. I think it's pretty clear that Ospina caught Darmian's foot, but regardless of whether the decision was correct or not, you cannot swear at the referees. From what I understand, Insignia told Massa to go take a crap and that he always ruins games. Now, I know that's not that bad to say in the heat of the moment, but we know that Italian referees are sensitive. Gattuso addressed this in his post-match conference where he talked about how we are only sensitive to swearing in Italy and how when he played in Scotland, players would tell referees off all the time and it was no big deal. Now, I think at least in part those comments were intended to take some of the heat off of his captain. I'm sure Gattuso had a separate conversation with Insigne. Gattuso's reaction after the card came out pretty much said it all. But like I said, this is nothing new in Serie A. We've already seen Alvaro Morata sent off for comments he made to the referee after Juve's game against Benevento. He said it's embarrassing how obvious that penalty was, so not really swearing. Brian Cristante was suspended for a game by the sports judge for making a blasphemous comment that wasn't even directed toward the referee, but was picked up in the video and the audio of the match. The point I'm making is we know... And players know that this behavior will get you suspended, so you simply cannot do it. It doesn't matter what was said, what matters is that something was said in the first place. One thing we see all the time in the game today is whenever a team does not like a decision, the players swarm the referee to argue their case. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a player put forward such a convincing argument that a referee has actually changed their decision. And I'm not only talking about penalty decisions, I'm talking about any decision. Once it's made, it's rarely changed. The only thing that will change a decision is the VAR, and if you're so adamant that the referee got the decision wrong, then surely the VAR will catch that and reverse the call. Now, I'm not saying Massa was good in this match, far from it. He got decisions wrong for both teams. He missed a handball on Insigne in the first half, but then called a similar one on Lukaku in the second half. He missed a foul by Koulibaly on Barella, and then immediately after that, Brozovic pulled Zielinski's shirt, and that also wasn't called perhaps because the foul on Barella wasn't called, I thought the yellow card for Bakayoko was harsh, not only did Lautaro shove him in the back before controlling the ball, but Bakayoko also appeared to get the ball first with his slide tackle. Maybe he fouled Lautaro in the follow through, but there's no way that was a yellow card. Chuki Lozano was shown a yellow card for overreacting to a foul that was called against him, and on the replay you can see why Lozano was so upset because it was clearly a shoulder to shoulder tackle, then Lozano really did foul Devry in the build up to the Politano chance that Handanovic stopped and it wasn't called, so you can imagine the reaction from Napoli fans if that goal was taken back after a VAR review. So clearly Massa was not good in this game and maybe Insigne's frustration was building up from some of the other poor calls that were made in this game, but on the penalty Massa did make the correct call and again no player should put themselves in a position like that let alone the club captain. At the end of the day though, we actually played better after going down a man. We had plenty of chances to score both before and after the red card. In some cases, our finishing was poor. Zielinski had that volley in the first half. Lozano had the chance in the second half after Insigne played the ball over the top, though that one may have been offside and Politano had his chance that we mentioned. In other cases, we got unlucky. Petagna hit the post, and as I mentioned, I thought Inter were fortunate that he's blocked shot fell for Darmian. Unfortunately, sometimes the better team loses. You just hope those games happen against teams that you're not competing with directly for the Scudetto or for Champions League qualification. Now we've lost to Juventus, Sassuolo, Milan, and Inter, so we're going to have to be better in the return fixtures against those clubs. We did beat Roma and Atalanta, who we expect to be competing with for Champions League qualification. Fortunately, of all the teams in the top 10, only Inter and Roma won this round, so the damage that was caused was fairly limited. We'll recap those matches in Part 2, but first let's recap Napoli Femminile's match against Hellas Verona last weekend. Giuseppe Marino lined up in a 4-3-3 with Catalina Perez in goal. Federica Di Crisio and Alexandra Heun started at center-back. Federica Cafferata started at right-back and Guomi arnato Dir made her first start since joining on loan from Milan. Sarah Huchet started in the center of the midfield with Vivian Beal on her left and Sofia Kjensen on her right. Jenny Hillman started on the left wing, Evy Popadinova started on the right wing, and Pia Riesdijk started at striker. This was a very high-tempo match. Early on, Verona pressed and made it very difficult for Napoli to string any passes together. Napoli continued to pick up injuries. Federica Di Cricio, who's deputizing for the injured Paola Di Marino, was forced to leave the match with a muscle injury. Verona opened the scoring in the 30th minute. Asia Bragonzi timed her run to perfection before slotting her shot past Perez into the bottom corner. From that point on, Napoli were the better side and had numerous chances to equalize in the first half. Napoli pushed forward immediately after the goal, Riesdijk crossed to Sarah Huchet at the back post, but her header was cleared off the line by Giorgia Motta. Then we had three chances in the final five minutes of the half. First, Cafferata played a dangerous ball into the area for Riesdijk. She didn't get there, but the ball bounced on goal, and Verona keeper Francesca Durante made an excellent save, though Riesdijk was called offside on the play. Then in the 44th minute, Beal did well to control the ball in the midfield before firing from just outside the top of the box but her shot narrowly missed the far post. Then just before the whistle, Durante made another save on Popadinova's low shot from the right side of the box. Knowing he was running out of time, Marino made three changes in the 52nd minute. He replaced Sofia Kjensen with Izota Noki, Federica Cafrata with Martina Fusini, and Jenny Hillman with Eleonora Goldini. Marino also switched from the 4 3 3 to a 4 2 4 formation. Unfortunately, though we continued to apply pressure, it was Verona that scored next. Durante played a long goal kick towards Bragonzi. Livia Caparelli, who replaced DiCriscio, misplayed the bounce, which allowed Bragonzi to break towards the goal. It looked like Bragonzi fouled Caparelli, but it wasn't given. Perez came out to challenge Bragonzi and fouled her in the box, so Verona were awarded a penalty. Bragunzi converted the penalty to score her second of the day. She's now 4-4 four for four from the penalty spot this season. That was unfortunate, as that was pretty much the only time Verona got forward in the entire half. Nova made things interesting scoring her first of the season in the 72nd minute of the match, but neither team scored after that. We lost yet again, which is our 9th loss out of 10 matches this season. This one was especially tough to swallow because it was against a 9th place team and because we were clearly the better side. That was the final straw for Giuseppe Marino. On Monday, the club announced that Marino had been released of his duties after starting the season with only one point in 10 matches. If you read his comments that he made after the loss, I think he knew he was going to be sacked if they lost this match, which is also why he made those dramatic changes. He's been replaced by former Empoli coach Alessandro Pistolezzi. His assistant is Giacomo Dani, athletic trainer Euro Baraki. Goalkeeper coach Arturo Tudisco and technical coach Francesco Persico. So that will do for part one. In part two, we'll cover the news and we'll check in on how our competition did midweek.
1: Portegazuna kunustem Na Passa a scampanianna per con mano a fa guarda Tu vuoi fare l'americano, americano, americano Siente a me chi do fa fa Tu vuoi vivere alla moda ma se bevi whisky e soda ti siente disturbare Tu tua ballo rock and roll, tu ciò che appese bolla, dei sorti Chi te li dà la borsetta di mamma tua fa l'americano, americano, americano. Ma si nati nata in Italia, si è nata a me non c'è sta niente a fa, ok in tu fa l'americano, tua fa l'americano.
0: Next, we'll cover some news, and as I mentioned last episode, we won't be covering all of the action from the round, but we will continue to cover our main competitors, which is still quite a few teams at the moment. So let's start with the latest transfer rumors. Unfortunately, the market has been very quiet on Arkaduj Milik, Napoli has set his transfer fee at 18 million euros, which probably means we'd be content with an offer of 9 million. Supposedly, Atletico Madrid started talking to his agent a few weeks ago, and Everton and Fiorentina, whom Milik rejected this summer, remain options as well. Napoli are also looking to sell Fernando Llorente. The club is trying to get rid of his 2.5 million euros salary. Sampdoria seem to be the most interested at the moment, but they are only offering a 6 month contract, whereas Llorente is looking for 18 months. Another player that has drawn very little interest is Fauzi Gulam. He makes three million euros a season, in addition to Elsie Cuai not being available. I think that's why we're starting to see Gulam play more to showcase his talent a little bit. Gulam is under contract until twenty twenty two so the hope is to sell him in the summer to free up space for a replacement. Emerson Palmieri seems to be the preferred option, and he's expected to cost about twenty million euros. Finally, there's Kevin Malqui. He's only made two appearances since tearing his ACL last season. He played six minutes against Inter in the second-last match of last season, and he played 15 minutes against Atalanta this season. The most likely transaction involving Malqui would be a loan. This past summer, he rejected a loan to Parma, but having not played all season, He's far more likely to accept a loan move now, and a loan makes sense for everyone. Clubs are not willing to invest heavily in a player who has barely played in the last year and a half, and Napoli may need to bring Malqui back if LCQ Sai leaves at the end of his contract. For Malqui, he just needs to go somewhere that he can get some consistent playing time. In other news, Napoli's health manager Professor Rafaela Canonico gave an interview to Radio Kiss Kiss on Monday. He spoke about the health of a number of players. Let's start with Victor Osiman. as you know, Osiman has been out since November 13th when he dislocated his shoulder in the Nations League, Kanoniko was asked whether the doctors in Nigeria caused further damage and he said quite the contrary, he congratulated them for their efforts, he said Victor was very lucky because the damage could have been much worse, he said the recovery for a non-surgical dislocation is usually 30 to 70 days but everyone is different the problem is not in resetting the shoulder it's the physiotherapy afterwards to restore the strength and protection in the joint he said it's hard to predict but he thinks victor will return before the christmas break but if it were up to him he would take his time which means a return in january canonico also addressed the recent covid cases with lcq and amir rahmani We all know they've been out for a while after testing positive, they finally recovered, and then you might have heard that they both had false positive tests recently. Kanoniko explained that these episodes do occur with high-level athletes that have high respiratory frequencies due to intense training. He said there is a displacement of the residual viral cells on mucous membranes in the airways. As a result, it's possible to retest positive because the dead virus cells emerge, but it's not contagious. On Fauzi Gulam, he said he's known him for 7 years and has worked with him through the entire process with his injury. He has not missed a single training session. From a physical and structural point of view, he's been fully recovered for quite some time now. And he added that he's an excellent professional and a true pleasure to work with. Finally, Canonico talked about Gennaro Gattuso. We saw Gattuso wear glasses against Sampdoria and then he wore them again with some bandage on the right eye against Inter. This interview was actually done before the intermatch, but Canonico explained that Gattuso has ocular myasthenia. That's a muscle condition in the eye that could cause paralysis or double vision, amongst other things, but it is something that usually resolves itself in 7 to 10 days. And that's actually something that Gattuso has been dealing with since he was a player. Alright, so let's move on to match day 12. Heading into the round, Napoli were sitting in 3rd place, 4 points back of Milan, 1 point behind Inter, and level with Juventus. Sassuolo was 1 point behind us, and Roma were 2 points behind us. We were 4 points ahead of Hellas Verona, and 5 points ahead of Lazio and Atalanta. Milan tied Genoa 2-2. Matteo Destro scored a brace for Genoa and Davide Calabria, and Pierre Calulu scored for Milan... For the second match in a row, Milan came from behind to salvage a draw, but this match was very different than Milan's draw against Parma. In that match, Milan were dominant but were very unlucky with how many times they hit the upright. In this match, Milan created very little. On most nights, I think Genoa would be delighted with a draw against a first place team, but I think Rolando Maran might actually be disappointed with this result. Not only did Genoa squander the lead twice, but both of the goals they conceded were probably avoidable. The strike by Calabria on Milan's first goal was excellent, but the play started with Paolo Giglione clearing the ball straight into the middle of the pitch. Chalanoglu played the ball to Calabria and he did the rest. Then on the second goal, Genoa were beat by a set piece. That was Kalulu's first for Milan. Credit to Milan once again for continuing to fight, though I think this result was even more impressive than the Padma one because they weren't playing as well. And Gigi Donnarumma once again was great. He made a few big saves, including one late in the match on a beautiful scissor kick by Gianluca Scamacca. Juventus also tied. They tied Atalanta 1-1 on goals from Federico Chiesa and Raimo Freuler. Chiesa was excellent for Juventus once again. I've said this before, but I think he's had a great year even before leaving Fiorentina. He scored an absolute screamer of a goal in the first half. He nearly scored a second one with a header in the second half. He also won the penalty in the second half. Now, I'm an Napoli fan, but removing my bias, I think that was a soft call. Even the commentator thought the decision would be reversed by the VAR, but it wasn't. These days, if there's the slightest bit of contact and the player goes to ground, VAR will not change the call. My issue with the decision was Keza thought about it for a second before going to ground, but the football gods corrected that decision. Cristiano Ronaldo missed the penalty which was his fifth penalty in the span of nine days. He had two against Barcelona and two against Genoa. The football gods may have also been punishing him for trash-talking Mattia Perin after scoring one of those penalties against Genoa. That miss pretty much summed up Ronaldo's night. It was a rare off night for him. Alvaro Morata also had his chances. He tried to be a little too cute in the first half. He mishit his backheel, which rolled harmlessly wide of the goal, though I think he knew that play would have been called back for offside. Luigi Golini made a couple of big saves on Morata in the second half as well. For Atalanta, Papu Gomez made a surprise appearance about 10 minutes into the second half. Moments after that, Papu was tackled off the ball by Bentancur, but Remo Freuler did well to win possession before firing a rocket past Wojtek Szczesnyi. The strike had just enough dip on it for the ball to duck under the bar. I think Atalanta are going to miss Papu dearly if he leaves this club, which seems all but decided. With him on the pitch, Atalanta looked much better. Suddenly, their play was free-flowing. They really turned it up in the final quarter of the match. Shesney made an excellent save on Christian Romero's header. Romero was a bit lucky to still be in this match. He made a tackle in the second half that I think easily could have been a second yellow. And that's the problem with Romero. He's a great player at times but he can also be very reckless. Chesney also made a nice save on Papu late in the match to protect the draw, which is how that one finished. Besides Inter, Roma were the only other top 10 team to win in this round. They beat Torino 3-1. Henrik Mkhitaryan, Edin Dzeko, and Lorenzo Pellegrini scored for Roma. Andrea Belotti scored the long goal for Torino. Wilfried single was shown two yellow cards in the first 14 minutes of this match. The first one was a clear yellow card. The second one was a tough call, but I think the referee did get it right. That was unfortunate for Torino because they were looking pretty dangerous getting forward in the early stages of this match. From that point until about the final quarter of the match, Roma were the better side. Mkhitaryan continued his hot streak, opening the scoring with a beautiful shot off the upright and in. That came after Vanya Milinkovic-Savic, the younger brother of Lazio Sergei, made a nice save on Gianluca Mancini's shot from outside of the box. Roma doubled their lead from the penalty spot just before the break after a rare wayward pass by Andrea Belotti. Gleason Bremner was late to the ball and got the slightest touch on Dzeko in the box, but VAR confirmed that it was in the box and therefore it was a penalty. That was more on Belotti than it was on Bremer. Bremer was actually very good for Torino considering they played most of this match with 10 men. Simone Edera nearly pulled one back in the 64th minute, but his shot hit the crossbar and stayed out. Only minutes later, Lorenzo Pellegrini scored his first of the season to put Roma ahead 3-0. Pellegrini completed a lovely play by Roma. Mkhitaryan played a high, looping ball over the top to Pedro. He scored to Borja Mayoral, who laid off for Pellegrini, and he smashed a gorgeous shot into the top corner. Credit to Torino, they continued to play even though it looked like this match was all but over. Andrea Bellotti scored once again after some really poor defending by Roma, but with a red card so early in the match... This was always going to be an uphill battle for Torino. Sassuolo tied Fiorentina 1-1. Hamed Jr. Traore scored for Sassuolo and Dusan Valovic scored for Fiorentina from the penalty spot. Frank Ribéry was very good for Fiorentina in this one. He played a low ball early in the match that somehow got through the entire Sassuolo defense and found Cristiano Biraghi at the far post. He had only the keeper to beat but somehow missed the entire goal. Then it was Ribéry who won the penalty that Valovic converted to draw level. For a second, it looked like he picked up an injury on the play. He needed help to walk off the pitch, but he toughed it out and played the entire match. Then, late in the second half, Ribéry nearly put Fiorentina ahead, but his shot hit the bar and stayed out. This was another subdued performance from Sassuolo. They had spells where they passed the ball around beautifully, but it wasn't their best performance. We saw some of those quick passes on the Traore goal, which was his first of the season. Domenico Berardi played a perfect through ball to Traore on that play. Roberto De Zerbi did everything he could to put his team ahead, including bringing in Chico Caputo off the bench. That was his first appearance after missing four matches with a muscle injury. De Zerbi also brought in Francesco Magnanelli, who's been with Sassuolo for an incredible 16 seasons, but neither of them were able to make a difference. In other matches, Lazio drew Benevento 1-1. We'll talk a little bit about that in part three when we preview Napoli's match against Lazio. And Verona lost 2-1. To Sampdoria. So with the loss, we've dropped down to 5th place, 6 points back of Milan, 5 points back of Inter, and 1 point back of both Juve and Roma. Meanwhile, Sassuolo have pulled level with us, Hellas Verona remain 4 points back, and Atalanta and Lazio are now 5 points back. So that's where we currently stand. With the competition in Serie A this season, positions in the table will change on a weekly basis. We have another big match on Sunday against Lazio, We'll preview that one in
1: part three. Hey, hey. Chi c'ha mamma non piange è vero Mai ma se non soffi non cade il velo no. Che ti fa vivere in bianco no. e nero Un uomo libero segue la sua strada Anche se è sbagliata Ci vediamo alla prossima cazzo Un avanzato va a passare vuoi un cielo Non dato lì C'è tiemboini Spadanguai Chi desidera Quei modi di fare è mobilitare guarda della piccerie a papà, Non sono lo scemo di prima Chissà come va a farmi Lavoro a vent'anni, ho solo vent'anni E passa è spassa sotto questo balcone Ma tu sei guaglione Tu non conosci femmina Sei ancora così si giovane Tu sei guaglione Perché mi sento a giù un po' pallone La donna di sti il te non mi fa ridere.
0: In the final part, we'll preview Napoli's match on Sunday against Lazio. This is the 65th meeting between Lazio and Napoli played in Rome. In the previous 64, Lazio won 29, 18 were draws and Napoli won the other 19. The last time Napoli won away against Lazio was in August of 2018. It's been an interesting start of the season for Lazio. They currently have a record of 5 wins, 3 draws, and 4 losses. Two of those ties were against Juventus and Roma, but then they've also lost to Sampdoria and Udinese, and most recently they lost to Verona and tied Benevento. In a way, this season has been the opposite of last season for Lazio. Last season, Lazio's success came in Serie A after being eliminated from the Europa League, This season, Lazio have advanced to the knockout phase of the Champions League, but they've dropped so many points in Serie A that they're currently sitting in 9th place. In Lazio's defense, they have been really unlucky with COVID. They haven't had the most cases, but their best players have missed multiple games due to COVID. Chiro Immobile continues to score a lot of goals. The problem for Lazio so far is that they're not getting enough production from the rest of their squad. Other than Hellas Verona have only scored 16 goals thus far, Lazio have scored far fewer goals than the clubs they should be competing with for the Champions League qualification. Yaoquin Correa and Luis Alberto have each scored only one goal so far in Serie A. Lazio have also conceded more goals than any other team in the top 10 of the table, averaging nearly two goals allowed per match. That may be helped by the return of Francesco Acerbi, who Inzaghi said in his pre-match conference could play this match, though I can't imagine he'll be 100% fit. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Simone Inzaghi typically lines up in a 3-5-2 with Pepe Reina in goal. Francesco Acerbi returns from that muscle injury, so I think we'll see him at center-left with Stefan Radu at center-back and Luis Felipe on the right. Mohamed Fares is also injured, so we should see Adam Matusic at the left-wing-back position and Manuel Lazzari at the right-wing-back position. In the center of the midfield will be Luis Alberto and Sergei Milinkovic-Savage to his right, and either Gonzalo Escalante or Danilo Cataldi to his left, and I think we'll see Escalante there. And up top, we'll see Chiro Immobile with Yauhen Correa. For Napoli, Gattuso will line up either in the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-3-3, but it doesn't really change who his personnel will be. I think we'll see David Ospina get another start over Alex Meret. At centre-back, I think we'll see Kalidou Koulibaly paired with Nikola Maksimovic. I know Kostas Manolas is our normal steady-ass starter, but I don't see Manolas playing three matches in eight days, and Amir Rachmani is not fit to play yet, so I have Maksimovic starting. We should see Mario Rui at left-back again. I think there's an outside chance that Fauzi Gulam starts since Mario Rui played against Inter, but I don't think Gulam can handle the pace of Manuel Lazari on the right wing i is in the squad, but until I see him come off the bench, I don't think he will start. For the same reason, I think Giovanni De Lorenzo will continue to carry the load at right back. I have Timoe Bakayoko and Fabian Ruiz playing in the double pivot, but you can make a very strong case for Diego Demme to start again. I know Diego Demme has been very good lately, but he played 59 minutes against Sampdoria and then 84 minutes against Inter, so I think he's going to get a rest here. Fabian came off the bench in the Inter game, so he'll be fresh for this one. Piotr Zielinski will start in the 10th spot. With Lorenzo Insigne suspended, Chucky Lozano will likely start on the left wing and Matteo Politano will start on the right wing. Finally, with Victor Osimhen and Dries Mertens injured, Andrea Pitania will start at striker. Okay, next let's talk about our three keys to the match. The first is we need to keep the ball away from Chiro Immobile. He's been a Napoli killer the last few seasons. In the 2018-19 season, we beat Lazio 2-1 twice and Immobile scored the long goal in both of those games. Last season we lost 1-0 and we won 3-1 and Immobile scored both of those goals as well. And even in the 1-0 win in the Coppa Italia last season, Immobile should have scored from the penalty spot but he slipped on his follow through. Despite being in and out of the squad due to COVID, Immobile has continued to score at a torrid pace this season. He has 7 goals in 10 Serie A matches to go with the 5 that he scored in the group stage of the Champions League. The key to stopping Immobile has less to do with Immobile himself and more to do with the midfielders that feed him the ball. In other words, we need to stop Luis Alberto and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. Coming back to our starting 11, you might think I'm contradicting myself by saying we need to stop Alberto and Milinkovic-Savic, but that we should also start Fabian. Yes, Diego Dema is a better defender than Fabian is, there's no doubt about that. But the reason Fabian typically struggles in the defensive phase is because he doesn't have the pace. Against this Lazio midfield, you don't really need that much pace. Alberto and Milinkovic-Savic are technically very good, but they're not that quick. We also have Lozano, Politano, and Zielinski, who do have the pace to get back when needed. Koulibaly will have the tough task of marking Immobile. We've seen him go up against the bigger strikers in the league in Ibrahimović, Dzeko, and Lukaku. This time, he'll have to mark one of the smaller strikers... Kulibali has very quick feet, though, so I'm not terribly concerned about this matchup. The matchup that concerns me more is Yalcon Korea versus Maximovich, or even against Manolás if he starts. The second key to the match is we can't hurt ourselves with costly mistakes. More often than not, when we drop points, it's not because we were outplayed by our opponent. We have four losses in Serie A this season, rightfully or wrongly, we didn't show up to the Juve match. The second was against Sassuolo where we conceded a penalty to go down 1-0. And then the second was a late goal on the counterattack when we were pressing for the equalizer. The third loss was against Milan. That was the one loss where we did in fact get outplayed particularly by Ibrahimović and Stefano Pioli. And then the fourth loss was midweek to Inter where we conceded another penalty and Insigne picked up that red card. So if we can avoid making a costly mistake, I like our chances of walking away with a positive result. Finally, the third key to the match is we have to play smart. As deep as this squad is, with the injuries we have, we don't have many options at a few positions. For the last little while, we've lacked a replacement for Giovanni Di Lorenzo at right back. I'm hoping we get to see LC Kusai come off the bench to give him a rest in this match. At striker, we're down to our third option in Petania, so we're going to need the tank to go the distance. With Insignia suspended, at least one of Lozano and Politano will have to play the full 90 minutes. Elif Elmas can provide some fresh legs off the bench for one of them. And for that reason, there's lots of talk about Napoli lining up in the 4-3-3, primarily to conserve energy. The 4-2-3-1 lends itself to the long ball, which isn't petania's strong suit and would only tire him out. If we do play long, we'd have to play the long ball at petania rather than to run onto. He can then hold up for his wingers to catch up. petania can also drop deep as a decoy while the ball is played over the top four. Lozano and Politano but we'll have to pick our moments so we don't burn out our wingers. The head official for this match is Daniele Orzato, his assistants are Alberto Tagoni and Sergio Ranghetti, the fourth official is Daniele Kifi and on the VAR is Paolo Mazzoleni assisted by Mauro Vivenzi. For my prediction I'm going to go with a 2-1 Napoli win. I'll give the Napoli goals to Andrea Petagna and Chucky Lozano and I'll give the Lazio goal to Joaquin Correa even with some key players missing, I think we have the depth and quality to still score goals. Lazio have been in poor form lately, having dropped points at Hellas Verona and Benevento in their last two, and they easily could have lost that Benevento match. Meanwhile, Napoli have responded well after losses. After forfeiting the match to Juventus, we beat Atalanta 4-1. After losing to Sassuolo, we beat Bologna 1-0. And after losing to Milan, we beat Roma 4-0. So I'm expecting a strong performance after losing to Inter. I think this is a huge opportunity for petania to show his worth, and we've already seen him improve with more playing time lately. I think our wingers will have a distinct advantage over an unfit at if he plays, and I think we have the quality at the back to snuff out Lazio's attack. So that's my preview of Lazio versus Napoli. Before I wrap up, I mentioned at the top that it would tell you how you could win a signed Lorenzo Insignia jersey. This is a contest being held by our friends at the Partenope Nation, and the jersey was donated by the club. There are three ways to enter the contest. The first is to go to the announcement page and post a picture of yourself in your Napoli gear and be sure to include your full name, where you're from and how you became a Napoli fan. The first 70 posts will be entered into the draw and you're only allowed to enter once. The second way is to answer trivia questions that will be posted by Partano Paynation a few hours ahead of the Lazzo game. There will be six questions in total posted one at a time and the first person to correctly answer each question will get a ticket. And the third way is to correctly guess both the final result and the goal scores in the Napoli-Lazio game. You can post your predictions in response to Parteno Pay Nation's post of the official starting lineups on Facebook before the game starts. I will post a link to the Facebook page when this episode posts so you can find all the info you need there. And the draw will be done at halftime of the Napoli-Torino game. So best of luck to anyone who enters that competition. That is going to do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Forza Napoli pod. We'll talk to you again next week to review the Lazio match and to preview our next one against Torino, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!
2: The last of the the last of
1: the the last of the last of the
2: Podcast Network.